and a beautiful view that we have from here on the fifth floor of the Eastern World Building. And joining me in the studio to have a look at that view and get out of the cold this morning is the Mayor of the Toowoomba Regional Council, Paul Antonio. Good morning. Morning, Lee. Great to see you on Sunday at the Madsen Rasmussen Trophy. Oh, it was a fantastic uh, day. I was there with my day and, son. Uh, we had a great day. To see the emergence of, uh, you know, I'm very careful I don't pick a particular team, although I played for all whites back in the old days um, and Mulmerin, but uh, to see Highfields, a uh, you know, recently yeah. established team, and there was some controversy about whether they should or shouldn't begin, whether they should join with another club. Yes. But look at that. They've now won the crown. That's fantastic. But I think Gundawindi might come back. They've got a particularly good team there, and they mm. certainly missed that... Uh, that star player. Oh, yeah. Uh, he look, got sent off early. But, that was uh, only three minutes in or something, and uh, that changed the face of the game, I think. But uh, two Highfields teams, the under-18s, was an absolute thriller. Went into double extra time, and in Golden Point, they won that. So they had two victories to celebrate there, and I, I think the Federal Hotel was doing a fair business on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, they... Um, following, I, I saw a few videos. I got a bit of a feeling that there would have been some hoarse voices at Highfields. High <laughs> I've got a feeling. I think the, uh, the cup was passed around at one stage there. I saw a few great photos, but uh, what a wonderful day it was and a great celebration of local sport here in the region. And uh, Great to have seen a little bit of rain about and the ground looked fantastic, but we can still use a lot, and I know you're doing a lot of work still uh, with uh, the Southern Queensland Inland and New South Wales uh, Water Alliance that you've been a part of. Yes, well it's been an interesting journey. Uh, We began this alliance, a group of mayors, and uh, I lead that, Uh, and we're certainly working with uh, the local areas like uh, Gundawindi, like uh, uh, Western Downs, Southern Downs, Lockyer, as well as Tenterfield. But we have other people interested. But the good thing that happened, despite the fact that we went to Canberra to see the the Deputy Prime Minister who's been working closely with us, the former Deputy Prime Minister, uh, the day we had a meeting lined up with him, we couldn't actually have it because he was no longer the Deputy Prime Minister. Uh And you might have seen some reports in the the local newspaper that... uh, I thought he carried himself with amazing aplomb uh, when he was not the... He had been defeated in the ballot, but he was still the Deputy Prime Minister and he led the uh, the chamber. And I was at question time, so I was pretty happy with that. I saw a man with a great deal of strength, but anyhow, we'll deal with the new, new man as we deal with uh, everybody. Uh, but uh, we've got a very good relationship with the state government. They've given $3 million to a study, and their study was quite narrow. But we've been able to convince them that they ought to work with us and we hope to get a few million dollars out of the federal government and do a proper study and look to where our future water can come from. You know, and there's a whole lot of things. Um, It's going to be very difficult to get water out of New South Wales, but the Clarence River discharges 3.3 million megalitres of water into the sea every year. Now, if we could have 25,000 of those 4.3 million megalitres would make a profound difference to the likes of Warwick potentially Stanthorpe. But then there's another option. They're talking about building the Mole River Dam, which is part of the Murray-Darling, which, you know, you talk about the Murray-Darling, you talk about a a stressed environment. And so it may not be the best thing. But anyhow, there's a whole lot of politics being played around this one. And, uh, you know, before I leave the stage, I would dearly love to have a pathway forward for Toowoomba for the next 50 years for water. I know that uh, next week uh, New South Wales is hoping to help fill the dams around Queensland. Of course, that'll be with the tears of uh, Queensland supporters. Uh, so, oh, now, come no? on, mate. Too hey? soon? Come on, now, listen. <laughs> We're here to talk about business here. 
Well, well you started the conversation about rugby league. Well, I just look, thought I'd continue it. Your children, who do they support? <laughs> you know, yes, they were yeah. born here in the garden city. My <laughs> wife born in the South Burnet. I uh, yes, I'm three to it's three to one at my house, I'll tell you. And it wasn't a good eight years that run. <laughs> I'll give you the whisper. You I'm know, making the most of it at the moment. Doesn't give do me something, something. Doesn't it do something for the national and the state pride and the local pride? Isn't it brilliant? And of course tonight it's we've brilliant. got Stevie taking young Stevie Spark yeah. taking on uh, Tim Zoo. Yeah. yeah. A, that is amazing. Putting our local boxing uh, fraternity on the map there tonight once again, as, uh, you know, Katsudas and others did over the years. Uh, polystyrene recycling, more yeah. of that happening for residents? If there's one thing that we're really proud of that we've achieved at Toowoomba Regional Council, it's the, it's the Greater Toowoomba Waste Management Facility at O'Mara's Road. Mm. We built that. It was a dream of councils, and I thank my colleagues for being very much part of that. But when it comes to the polystyrene waste... Uh, we're sort of leading uh, there. It's great. Uh, now, we've uh, got 17.3 tonne of that uh, has been processed so far, but we've doubled the capacity or better than doubled the capacity of the processing plant, and the existing processing plant will move out uh, to the client and waste management facility. Dealing with waste is a really big issue, and we've got to do it better as we go forward. And, of course, we are collecting gas from some of our landfills. Uh, we're doing all that, but what... O'Mara's Road and the Clinton Waste uh, will do, it will reduce dramatically the amount of material going to landfill. We'll use it. That that uh, polystyrene is being used. Many other things are being reused. Yeah. That's the way of the future. It is a magnificent facility. I was there yesterday afternoon with my kids after trimming up the old lily pillies and the uh, the hedges about the place. And uh, we're in the green waste section, which is wonderful. And, yep. and please, people, don't cheat it. Uh, we noticed a few bits and pieces that shouldn't be in that green waste area. People just, yeah. you know, don't do that. Let's let's keep this, you know, this is a fantastic facility. Let's do the right thing. Uh, now, unemployment down, job yeah. creation up in our region. Amazing. That's great news, isn't the, it? The absolutely amazing thing about all this is uh, we've employed an additional 10,900 people in our area or 16.9% growth over the year. That's amazing. You find any other regional community that's doing that and I take my hat off to the investment by the private sector in this community. You see the things that are happening. Uh, Today I'll be uh, doing a press conference about yet another medicinal cannabis plantation in this area. Mm -hmm. High tech a very high tech, but employing people. And of course, once again, um, a shedded horticulture is a terribly efficient use of water. When we talk about water, we've got to use it more efficiently. And, you know, things are changing. So this will happen. But 4.3%, the lowest in the state, is our unemployment. And the good thing is our youth unemployment is running at 9.4. That's a decrease of 14%. It was, you know, it was it was 28% there in September. Mm. And... Uh, so, but the average uh, Queensland youth unemployment is 14.4. So that indicates the vibrancy of this community. Yes. But then there come some issues. So, you know, we need housing because we've got jobs coming. Yep. The inland rail will be announced very soon, the construction thereof, I would expect, unless there's been a big change, but I would expect it will be announced. And uh, that will mean that uh, there'll be a tremendous number of jobs, be people having to have housing yeah. here. So uh, we're working on that. It doesn't happen overnight, but I am seeing a good response from the developers in this community, developing more land. Fantastic. All right, more to talk about with the Mayor of the Toowoomba Regional Council, uh, Paul Antonio, just after this one, including the budget passed in June and some CBD services, a little bit more on the way too. After John Mellencamp, it's 18 to 8. You would leave for breakfast on the Darling Downs 864 Triple M. Thanks to Whipple's Volkswagen. 
It's a quarter to eight. Leave for breakfast. Thanks to Whipple's Volkswagen. Harry Street to Wimber. Coming up, we'll give you a chance to win $1,000 cash at Triple M's $1,000 secret sound. Uh, right now, morning with the Mayor of the Toowoomba Regional Council, Paul Antonio. A, uh, another big budget handed down in mid-June, just showing uh, you know, how big a city this really is. Half a billion dollar budget. Yes, and we've got an asset base of $5.4 billion. Mm-hmm. And you put that on the ASX, you'd find that... Uh, uh, a farmer from Ormeron wouldn't be the, the chairman of the board, I don't think. <laughs> That's right. uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's no question about that. But uh, look, I'm delighted that the way we worked on that budget, that's a nine-month process. It involves many people. Uh, and I just want to thank uh, Councillors McDonald and Shine who run that finance area. I know that uh, uh, Councillor McDonald wasn't too keen on doing finance, but he got it and he's doing a good job. <laughs> uh, but uh, to be quite honest, it's a big budget and, and it, it's a massive responsibility that we take seriously. Nine months of work and, uh, you know, a rate rise of 2.5%, which equates to about $1.76 a week. And our biggest problem is external funding. The previous year, uh, of all the money that's paid from this area in tax, uh, we got $26 million back there'd be hundreds of millions of dollars go out of this area in tax. Mm. And okay, the government's got things they've got to run, uh, the federal government, the state government's got things they've got to run, but we have 30% of Australia's infrastructure to look after in local government mm. and we get 3% of the money. So there needs to be a bit of recognition of the efforts that go in uh, locally. We, in, who sit around the table in Toowoomba, the people who know what Toowoomba needs next, and you're seeing that our roads... Uh, you know, we wish we could spend a lot more money on connectivity on mm. our roads. But anyhow, uh, you know, that's where we are. But we we are managing to keep the Toowoomba Regional Council in a very strong position. But, you know, the ratepayers are the ones that are, that, are, that are copying it a fair bit, I suppose, in many ways. But um, 94% of properties will uh, have a, a rate increase of less than 5%. You see, the, it's the valuation that determines things. And we very often have to adjust uh, yes. to get the valuation right so that this... Much of the rural land has gone up about 29% or so. Uh, so that would mean a 25-9% increase in rates if you yes. stayed at that same rate. But, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. Local government certainly needs... Uh, but we've got some uh, some big areas. We're still called Sound with a neutral outlook, which is very good. That's the Queensland Treasury Corporation. $82.69 million into roads and bridges, 38 into water projects, uh, 16 into waste water projects, uh, waste projects of about $6 million, parks 17. So there's a tremendous amount of money. $137 million was spent up until May with local people of our, of our budget. Now, we're, that's about 51% of our total expenditure on that we, that we spend, not accounting, for, uh, opera- the, not accounting for the wages and so forth. So, and we're very focused on making sure we can spend as much here locally. I know there's been a bit in the paper about donuts lately, yes. uh, but uh, I won't take too much responsibility for that. But the reality is we want to spend money locally because we're a major player. 1,700 employees and, and $551 million being spent. Yeah. And major players. That, it, that's exactly right. It, it, it's a, a massive, massive undertaking, a, a, a city of this size. And I think oh, that absolutely. has to be understood that, you know, it's not the country town that it was no. uh, even 10 years ago, let alone, you know, 50 and 60 years ago. So and, and people we are, are a vibrant you know, city. 
and people, uh, they expect the water to be at a very high standard. They expect mm. everything to be at high standard. Well, of course, we do. There's costs mm. in all that. Of course. Uh, just finally today, because we're running out of time, unfortunately, but a, a new uh, tourism video, which uh, I believe yes. has been shot by my good mate Coatsy at Salt Studios at the team Absolutely. Met. Did an uh, amazing job. They do great work. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've uh, certainly been prepared to uh, promote Toowoomba and promote the region in that area. And there were some very short, sharp videos, beautifully done. Uh, and uh, look, uh, there's another magazine come out called Live Toowoomba. Yes. It's been put out by the Toowoomba and Surat Basin Enterprise, which is one of our wholly owned subsidiary that's doing a great job. And we want to promote Toowoomba. Uh, we wanted people to come here, but okay, at the moment, uh, I guess we're looking at housing and all that. There being a shortage, land, there's a shortage, but these things come and go. Uh, the private sector will respond, and uh, but we're hoping that in the meantime, we're working with people like Landline, uh, like uh, Lifeline, and many of those people to make absolutely sure that we do the best we can for those who don't have a home. And it's a sad thing, isn't it? Oh, it's but extraordinary. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. Uh, regional Australia is particularly suffering, and uh, obviously yep. COVID uh, saw a mm. real spike in that. And, uh, you know, we are so fortunate. We have so many great organisations here, uh, as you say, Lifeline, uh, but uh, so many others in our part of the world oh, that yeah, do incredible work. And, uh, you know, I mean, look at the base soup kitchen and the work yeah. that the Sparries do and uh, Protea Place and all these places. Yeah, I mean, the they work, do incredible The compassion in this community is sometimes... Uh, brings tears to your eyes. Yeah. The people, the beautiful people who who go out of their way to help those who need a hand up. Yep. And it's, it's beautiful to see it. And we formed a, a, a regional multicultural uh, committee. Uh, and that's great too. Of course, we're, mm. we're struggling for funding to look after some of the people at the moment. Yep. Uh, we've seen the minister in Canberra. We've seen the uh, human home affairs department in Canberra. And, uh, you know, we're hopeful that we'll get some appropriate funding because it did cut out. And we just want to make sure these people are looked after because they're no different to us. They're coming here, uh, as our forebears did, to make a brand new start. And yeah. Australia's a land of opportunity, and Toowoomba particularly. All right. It's 10 to 8. That was our morning uh, with the Mayor of the Toowoomba Regional Council, Paul Antonio. As always, thank you so much for your time. I really thank you, Lee. It. And you caught me a bit with that uh, thing about the tears <laughs> that will be coming. But uh, uh, I will I'm run a counselling service as well. And when Queensland wins the third game, uh, we'll get them in to give you a free counselling session. I'll okay? look forward to that. <laughs> Believe me, as a Parramatta supporter and a Blues supporter, I need all the help I can get. It's nine to eight. You know, our holiday plans have been scuttled in many ways because of COVID-19. You pretty much draw a line for the next 18 months or so through international travel, unless you want to go to New Zealand in the bubble, and even interstate travel can be fraught with danger if your borders slam shut. Uh, well, what about a COVID-free holiday in outer space. Uh, you just need the right amount of cash uh, and the know-how. And Professor Johnny Horner from the USQ is an astrophysicist there. He provides us with that this morning. Good morning to you, Johnny. Good morning. How are you going? I'm well. Uh, are we really uh, that close to just hopping in a spaceship and having a interstellar holiday? We're at the dawn of space tourism. It's not going to be interstellar at the minute. It's just going to be very, very barely flicking above what they call the Kármán line, which is about 100 kilometres up. And it means that you can legitimately say you've been to space. That's about where we are at the minute. But this is a bit like going back 100 years, talking about the dawn of commercial air travel. You know, at first it was something for the ultra-wealthy and it was a bit of a oddity. And within decades, people were travelling freely all over the world on aircraft until, of course, COVID came and derailed things. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, so it is really a case of 
this is the dawn, this is the beginning, but it's interesting to see it finally happening. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic flight, uh, which is going to take them up. There's also been a lot uh, of talk about Elon Musk and his attempts at uh, SpaceX. Uh, there's been quite a few of those that have ended up uh, with, well, let's just say explosions. Uh, I mean, is that still a concern? Yes, and I mean, space travel is always risky, but every explosion is actually a good news story when it's during a test because it means they learn something that stops it happening in the future. I know that sounds a bit perverse, but they actually kind of view the failures as being more valuable than the successes. And they're now at a point with Virgin Galactic that they're going to have their first crude trip um, in a couple of days' time, actually, next week. We've got Jeff Bezos and his Blue Origin Jeff Bezos being the guy that's the founder of Amazon, of course, and they're going to have their first crude, proper crude flight with um, paying customers on the 20th of July. And both of these aren't doing what the very, very precious few space stories we've had in the past have done. About a decade ago, there were about nine trips where people paid tens of millions to go spend a fortnight on the International Space Station. And that's a proper space holiday, essentially. These two trips, the Virgin Galactic one and the Blue Origin one, are more like a joy flight. You know, the kind of thing where you go to a city and you get in an aircraft and fly around for an hour. They both go up, come down again. The Blue Origin one, it's going to be Jeff Bezos, his brother, who he says is his best mate, an 82-year-old woman from the US called Wally Funk, who was lined up to be one of the first astronauts. She was actually looking at being an astronaut in the 60s until the US Senate decided that it should be men only. So she missed out then, and she's getting the chance to go up now. Yeah. And also a mystery bidder who hasn't been revealed who paid $28 million US dollars for the opportunity Jeez. to get four minutes in space, which is a pretty good hourly rate if you can get it, I think. <laughs> yes. So, wow. Which is insane money. So that's the Jeff Bezos trip, the Blue Origin one, and that's been set for the 20th of July for a little while, which is the anniversary of the moon landing, the first moon landing. Ah. <sighs> Richard Branson's muscled in. They've been planning for a while to have their first Virgin Galactic flight. And he's going to go up. This is the first one with passengers rather than the test flights that they've had with pilots before. And he's now going to pip (laughs) Bezos to the post because they've organised it for the 11th of July because he wants to be first. (laughs) Wow. Well, the battle of the billionaires continues to take (laughs) us into places we've never been before. And uh, we are now really stretching it. Uh, There there is something quite spectacular happening uh, just out there. 300 kilometre wide mega comet. Uh, It's hurtling towards the sun. Is that that something that we need to be concerned about? And will these passengers get a glimpse of it? Um, We don't need to be concerned about it. And unfortunately, the passengers won't see it. It's something that I'm really buzzed about but it's not going to be spectacular and not going to be something you can see without really large telescopes but it's still really exciting this has been discovered by a survey called the dark energy survey which has actually been led by our colleagues down at the university of queensland down in brisbane and they've found images of this comet from 2014 through to 2018 that have meant we've been able to discover it look at it figure out what it's doing and it's coming in it's going to be at its closest to the sun in the year 2031 but it'll still be further away from the sun than Saturn is, unfortunately. So this is the kind of thing, if it was coming in as close as the asteroid belt or closer, it would be visible as a naked eye comet. It would be really spectacular and record-breaking. As it is, it's too far away for that. But it's a reminder that there's some really big stuff out there that is coming in that we have never seen before, that with the next generation of astronomical instruments, like the Vera Rubin telescope, which is coming online in the next couple of years, we'll find more and more of these things 
longer and longer in advance of their flybys. And what gets me excited about it is the fact that we've got this 300-kilometer comet now. Back in the 1700s, there was a comet called Comet Sarabat that was probably 100 kilometers across. Didn't come in much closer than Jupiter, but was still visible with naked eye. With the next generation of stuff, we will find the next ones that are coming in, whether they be 50 years, 100 years in advance. Mm. We'll discover the next great comet. So instead of it being a case like it was last year with Comet Swan, and like Comet Neowise that we found, where we get a few months' notice of a brilliant comet, we might get a few years' notice. And that's going to be really cool because it means we can get the anticipation going and learn a lot more about them. Absolutely. Well, it's extraordinary stuff as always, and uh, it is uh, always fascinating to catch up with Professor Jonty Horner from the USQ. Uh, keep your eyes to the skies, and we look forward to a report once all these flights have taken place and what it means uh, from there on in. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to see what happens. Oh, absolutely. Jonty, thank you so much for your time as always, mate. been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You cannot be serious! Yes, I'm serious, and there's nothing new about conspiracy theories. And thanks to the World Wide Web, gullible souls can justify their crazy beliefs of pandemics and microchips in vaccines, shooters on grassy knolls, fake moon landings, and even a flat Earth 24-7. This one, though, is for the birds. Well, if they existed. Birds Aren't Real is a conspiracy movement that claims those flying creatures we see every day aren't actually birds and are instead surveillance devices planted by the government. <laughs> right. The leader of the idea claims the movement has been going since the 1970s and alleges the US government has been engaging in a multi-administration and generational campaign to rid the country of all birds and back it up with reports like this. China has reportedly launched a surveillance program using bird-like drones. Followers suggest that between 1959 and 2001, the government genocided roughly 12 billion birds with a secret virus and the creatures have carefully been replaced with COVID spy technology. The initial aim was to stop bird poo from being dropped, and then the CIA realised they could use the concept of birds to their advantage. Leader Peter McIndoe said, I think the evidence is all around us. Birds sit on power lines. We believe they're charging up. We believe that bird poo on cars is a liquid tracking apparatus. And if you're not convinced, they challenge you to look a bird straight in the eye and say, I know your secret. I know you're a surveillance drone in disguise, which I would love to see them do to a magpie in spring. They also believe different birds have different skill sets, like Vultures are primarily used for public sanitation, whilst hummingbirds are assassination drones. So if this is really the case and birds don't exist, just what have we been eating at KFC all these years? You cannot be serious! <laughs>